The Lord continues to lead us this morning from the book of Revelation. Same verse. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. In the context of fellowship, the peace offering, what we have is Christ and his word. And so this also is a call for us not only to dedicate to Christ, to give ourselves to the Lord, but also to hold fast upon the revealed truth of God's word. And so this morning, may God give us the grace to do just that as we endeavor to hold fast upon him. Family of God, I'd ask if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 will be the text I'm going to fellowship with you around this morning. I've titled this, The Benefit That Flows from Christ, Help in Our Weakness. And uh, um, glory be to God, that is our uh, glorious benefit that flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, This is God's word, so let me invite you to stand together with me one more time out of reverence and respect for the reading of the words of our King. Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27. Hear now the word of our Lord. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As far as the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Words of life, words that, Lord, to the non-believer would just see this as just ink on a page and maybe lofty ideals, but not, not practical, not where we live. But Lord, for us, these not only are lofty ideals, but they're food to our soul. And they're that which refreshes us and feeds us and nourishes us in our faith. Father, bless this time as we fellowship with you around this, your word. Feed us richly, we pray. Enable us, O Lord, to commune with you. Give me grace, O God, to preach your word with fidelity. And use this, O Lord, to to mature us and equip us and enable us to love and serve you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I think the, the vast majority of people who maybe don't know much about the Bible but know the Bible is about God would have the idea that the Bible is therefore a book detailing the supernatural things of, of God. So if you were to, in, in their minds, if you were to chart, if you get a timeline and put dots where there would be supernatural events, they would, they would presume, maybe you would pr- presume, that that entire timeline would be covered with miracles. Because it seems as though every time you open up the, the book, the Bible, you read accounts of God doing fantastic things. So you presume the entire history of redemption is a history of God's miraculous intervention in this world. But in reality, if you really did mark and uh, note the miracles and the, the, the revelation and the prophets that God worked in, by, and which, and through, you would discover that they would be clustered around four specific redemptive events. Not in Genesis, not with Adam, not with Noah, not even with Abraham. There were events, of course, there were wonderful things, but there'd be one or two dots there. 
maybe a little bit more, but the cluster, the massive cluster, the darkening of our timeline would revolve around Moses, the former prophets of Elijah and Elisha, the latter prophets during the theocracy of, of you know, the, the prophetic ministry, and then the first advent of Jesus Christ. And thus, I would ask you today, if you could live, if you could choose to live in any era in redemptive history, where would you choose to live t- today? There might be some who, uh, balconiers, who might go, Moses, boy, would I love to have seen the Red Sea part. Boy, would I love to have seen those ten um, uh, plagues, uh, you know, come upon Egypt. Boy, would I love to see the, the, the rod turning into a, a serpent. But the time of Moses. I think um, there, there might be some, but I think the vast majority of people who have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if not all of them, they would say, if I could live in any redemptive era, it would be the time when Jesus Christ walked the earth. To sit and listen to him teach. To watch and behold his miracles. To see his manner with the weak and the hurting. To see his gentle and lowly heart. Man, I would love to live in that day. I would love to spend time with Christ, following him, listening to him, being, being a participant, in the words of Hebrews, in the powers of the ages to come as they manifested themselves at the time of Jesus Christ. Most of us would say, yes, Lord, let me live there. And that is why... With that kind of thinking, I think we all have that. John 16, 7 is such a shocking passage to us. Let me read it. John 16, 7, Christ told his disciples, speaking of his death, impending death, resurrection, ascension, but his impending death, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to to your advantage that I die. Now, brothers and sisters, I have a hard time on the surface reading that. How could it be possibly better for us to live in a world without Christ physically present? How could that be possible? But Christ goes on. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For for if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Amazing. Christ says, so he's talking about Pentecost and beyond. Okay, he's not talking about the physical presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. He's talking about the presence of, of the Spirit of God manifested like he did at Pentecost. And like he would in the New, New Testament era. He's always inhabiting God's people, but he manifested himself in a new and wonderful way from Pentecost on. And that manifestation, brothers and sisters, Christ is saying, you are better off. With, this, with living in this state of sin and misery with the presence of the Spirit of God in your life than you would be walking with me day in and day out. Isn't that incredible? Now, that's what he says. And so as biblical students, we go, all right, well, why? How can that be? And you might start thinking of passages. You might start thinking of theological truths. Oh, this is why. And, and, and this would be why. Well, Romans 8, 26 to 27 would be one of many, but one such response as to why it is better for you and I to live. So once again, I ask the question, if you could live in any area, where would you live? John 16 says, right where God put you. If I could live in any era, why now? Why is this better than having Christ present with us? Why? Romans 8, 26 to 27 gives us one answer, one of many. But it's one of many, many answers that is glorious 
and fantastic. Romans is that epistle where Paul introduces himself to the Roman church in a glorious way. He basically throws out everything he has been teaching. In essence, this is what I stand for. So in the book of Romans, as you know, you've got this incredible theological masterpiece where he goes and just walks through the, the sinfulness of man, one through three, and then chapter four, the, the, or chapter three, the glorious promise of Jesus Christ, and then chapter four, this incredible description of how Christ's promise is exactly, or what Christ is exactly what was promised in the Old Testament. Look at David, look at, look at, look at Abraham. Then in chapter five, he talks about the glorious peace and the consequence of the peace that comes from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Six through seven, he talks about the glorious work of God's sanctifying spirit whereby we grow in our walk to Jesus Christ. And then chapter 8, he turns to um, eight benefits that come as a result of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Eight of them. Chapter 8, 1 through 4, no condemnation. Uh, 4b through 8, fellowship with God. If you're saved by grace, you've got fellowship with God right now. A transformed life, 9 through 11. 12 through 13, a new priority. Sonship, 14 through 17. The promise of glory, 18 through 25. And then the seventh benefit, which is the text before us this morning, the text I'm going to look with you at, is the benefit of help, divine help in the time of our weakness. Now, full disclosure. Before Brian Prouty agreed to preach last week, my plan was to preach Romans 8, 26 through 27. Because when I was struggling as we were the last couple of weeks with the death of my grandson and the struggle of my son and daughter, I, I, I could not tell you how weak I felt. There's, there, as much as I prayed, and I prayed so much, I remember telling Janet, I'll tell you what, this is a prayer God just doesn't seem to be answering And I said that in tears. God, save the child. And then, as difficult as that is, and I think Paul and Alyssa, of course, had the most difficulty, how difficult it is as a parent to watch my son and daughter have to live through that. Praying for them and encouraging them in an environment of COVID where we couldn't be there. We couldn't be up in the hospital room when the horrible diagnoses and statements were being made. So full disclosure, this was the sermon I was going to preach last week, and it's still the sermon I I want to preach. It's where I've been living. And it's the glorious message that, brothers and sisters, I couldn't be in that hospital room with Paul and Alyssa, but the Holy Spirit was. And Paul and Alyssa couldn't be with that dying child, but the Holy Spirit was. That is our strength. In times of weakness, and I preach this, this passage, this particular time, not because simply my experience, but knowing that, brothers and sisters, every one of you here, if you live long enough, are going to face similar moments of weakness. You may already have done it many times. And you're going to continue in a state of sin and misery. Every one of us are going to be facing these types of situations where you and I are floored and there's nothing we can do but pray. There's nothing we can do but trust. And so Romans 8, 26 through 27 is an incredible passage that gives us some of the what's going on behind the scenes during these weak moments of our lives. When we are at our weakest, this is what we can, we praise God. This is what's going on behind the curtain. 
behind what we can see with our eyes. Notice with me, if you would, the nature of our help. We're going to begin there. Verse 26. And in the same way, Paul wrote, in the same way that God's promised glory helps us in our sufferings. So you're going through trial? Do you understand what God's planning for you in glory? That's the last uh, section. The same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. It's an incredible statement. The word for help is a, um, a compound of three different words. You got the Greek in your notes. Sun, anta, labanomai. Labanomai. Let's look at those words. Sun means with. Anta means in place of. Labano means to grab. So sort of, if you think about it, if, 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 if you follow that, look at the word again. Lombano means to grab. Onto means in place of. So, okay, so, so to help is to, to do something in place of us. So we're, we're going to be passive. But then it says soon means with. So we're not passive. We're doing it. So this word defined means laying hold of someone's weakness along with them and helping them carry the burden that is being faced. That's the idea. The Spirit helps us. He doesn't do it for us. He doesn't do it in place of us. He does it alongside, above us, beyond us, inside of us, with us. The picture of this word, I'll never forget, was beautifully described when I was in seminary by a fellow seminary student preaching in chapel. And he described this word with the story that he used to participate in as a young boy raised on a ranch. And every year, every spring or whatever it was, they'd go out and fix the, the uh, um, posts um, for the fences for their, their animals. And so as the youngest as eight, he remembered the first time he ever went. He was a young boy and he went out there and he, he, he grabbed the, the post hole digger to help dig that hole. Um, now at the time, he didn't think he was too young. But boy, he grabbed that thing and he started hitting it down. And then these two massive hands came behind him and grabbed on his. It was his dad. And together, he dug his first hole. And uh, that's his first memory of helping out on the ranch. What a beautiful picture of the word here. It is the Holy Spirit grabbing our hands. It's the Holy Spirit praying as we pray. It's the Holy Spirit working as we work. It's the Holy Spirit, if you could see him, with the unaided eye, if you could behold the Holy Spirit, you'd see him, if you will, enveloping us as we serve and work and do what we need to, to do. That's the idea behind this word help. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Let's define that word weak. The word weak um, generally used, was used of, of, of physical weakness. But then it became to, use, to be used in the Bible of any weakness. And then in the New Testament of a spiritual weakness, primarily a spiritual weakness. It's one who shrinks back in faith when facing life's struggles. It's one who, who shrinks back to fear, who, who shrinks back to worry. It's one who shrinks back to complaints. It's one who shrinks back to criticizing God. Okay, that's a weak faith. And when you and I have that weak faith, the Spirit of God comes and He helps us at those moments in our lives where we are weak and we can't get, get beyond where we are. That's where the Spirit of God comes, envelops us, puts His hands over our hands, and strengthens us. Notice how this word's used. Hebrews 5.2, speaking of um, uh, the importance of having priests 
who are, who are human. He can deal gently with the spiritually ignorant and misguided. Okay? Since he himself is beset with weaknesses just like them. So in other words, brothers and sisters, how can a priest be such a great minister, a good pastor? Because he himself has the same struggles that everyone else does. He knows the struggles. How, can, how do you have a good pastor? A good pastor is someone who, who's not arrogant, who understands the struggles that you and I go through all the, the, the uh, uh, time, and who can come alongside and say, I've been there. I, I've, I've been there. I've been comforted by God. And now I can comfort you with the comfort with which I was comforted by God. That's the idea here. It's what the Spirit of God does with our weaknesses. And so to be weak in, in Scripture is to be vulnerable or susceptible when, uh, when, we, um, um, when it comes to living life and failure. It's to be vulnerable to failure, susceptible to doubts, easily shaken from our spiritual uh, foundation. It's to, be, it's to be frightened. It's to be one who easily flees. Um, if you think of, the, of, of, of National Geographic movies, it's the picture of an animal, a lame animal, who holds one foot up into its body because it doesn't want that foot to hit, hit the surface. It's the person who, in faith, withdraws from life and certain areas because it's too hard for them to, to interact in that environment. That's the area where the Spirit of God is working. Isn't that cool? The, 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 the Bible talks about grace to help in times of need. We want, we want God to grace us. But you've got to understand the only time we get that grace is when we're in need. That's when God's grace is most felt. And so this weakness described here is, is where you and I are, are, have those areas, not all areas, but just those, those areas. Perhaps for you this day, it's a difficult relationship, a coworker, a family member. And because of the conflict and the difficulty, rather than addressing the conflict, we begin to avoid the family member. We begin to avoid the coworker because we don't want the, the, uh, the conflict. We don't want the difficulty. That's a weakness. And if you and I, by the Spirit of God, will, will, will with him go into that environment, we'll, we, we will get help in time of need. It's incredible. Another one would be a difficult past. Perhaps you were abused as a child or you had those rough uh, college years. And so today there's areas of your life where you're embarrassed about. There's areas where you wouldn't want anyone to know in a thousand years. And so when those topics come up, like, you know, this or that, you don't share the victory that God gave you over that. No, you shrink back in shame. And in your hearts, you're wondering and doubting and questioning. And rather than walking with Christ and saying, God, this is who I was, this is who I am, and this is what you've redeemed. So you shrink back to shame rather than confidence that praise God for his grace. Or the future. You've just received an unfavorable diagnosis. Your debts are piling up. You're not sure where, where you'll be working next week. And so you begin doubting God's goodness. Brothers and sisters, all of those are the areas of weaknesses and so much more that this passage finds us. But would you notice, regardless of the weaknesses facing you today, the good news is, is that as a result of God's redeeming grace, you have a comforter who helps you in your weaknesses. Notice Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. He's there. Now, if I stop there, that sounds wonderful. 
but it, it also can come across as pie in the sky religion. Hey, you know, he's there, guys. So smile. Don't worry. Be happy. You know, brothers and sisters, Paul wasn't satisfied with that. So he moves to an example, a concrete example for you and I to understand how the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses. And that example is Romans 26b. For we do not know how to pray as we should. This is an important one. My guess is that on the surface, if you read this for the first time, you would read this and say, that's one of many areas Paul could have referenced. Right? That's one of many examples. He helps us in our weaknesses. Oh, really, Paul? How? Well, you know, I could have said when you're attacked by Rome, when you're facing cancer, when you're facing ill health, the loss of a loved one. I mean, all these different horrible things I could say, but I'm going to just throw one out. Mm, prayer. That's how many of us read this. When brothers and sisters, I'm going to suggest to you that Paul is not just throwing one out. He's choosing the place where you and I are at our greatest weakness. This is a, this is, you heard Stuart preach this the last time he preached it, or teach this. And that is he, this is an example where, where Paul is arguing from the greater to the lesser. If it's true in the greatest place of weakness, that will give you the confidence that if he can help you there, he'll help you everywhere. And that's exactly what he does here. You say, you mean to tell me prayer is, you're, you're suggesting prayer is our greatest weakness? Hey, my prayer life may not be what it should be. And yeah, at times I fall asleep in my prayer. But let me tell you what, I'd rather struggle with my prayer life than go through what we just went through the last couple of weeks with the death of a baby. Come on, preacher, you insensitive uh, pastor. <laughs> Give me a break. Brothers and sisters, biblically, your greatest weakness Your greatest weakness is when you endeavor to approach an infinite, eternal, immutable being as a finite, temporal, changing sinner. That is when we are at our greatest deficit. What is God? What is Jesus? Listen to Revelation chapter 1. When you think of Jesus Christ, this is what you should think of. His head and his hair are white like wool, like snow. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice is like the sound of many waters. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about a a being here who is outside of the physical creation. So if you were to take a plane flight, or better yet, a mind mind journey to be with God, you would mentally have to first leave this galaxy and its 200 billion planets and stars. And then you would discover in outer space there's 200 billion galaxies. And you'd keep on traveling until you left the physical realm. And then you'd be in God's presence. God is above this physical world. And you and I are thinking that we could easily go and approach him acceptably. He's holy, as described right there. He's awesome. The angels, morally pure, upright angels, who if we saw, we would be frightened of. In fact, we would be tempted to bow before, as many of the uh, 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 patriarchs did, where the angels would say, stand up, don't bow before me. I'm a created being just like you. Those beings 
stand in the presence of God, or better yet, kneel in the presence of God saying, holy, holy, holy. Brothers and sisters, we are at our weakest when you and I are trying to commune with God. And that is why when Isaiah beheld God, we read in Isaiah 6, 5, he says, woe to me for I am ruined. He proclaims a self-malediction. Um, not a benediction, but a malediction. Cursed am I, for I have beheld God. And yet we know from John 12, he didn't see God, the essence of God. He saw theophany. He saw a manifestation of how God deigned to condescend and manifest himself in such a way that, that he would not be consumed. Because Exodus tells us, Exodus 34, no man can see God and live. Do you understand that? If you and I right now were to gaze upon the essence of who God is, we would die. No man can see God and live. And that is why, brothers and sisters, when Moses was in the presence of another theophany, another manifestation of God, we read he made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. Ezekiel. Ezekiel was also in the presence of, of God, at least the theophany, and this is what we read. I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upwards something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was, was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. Brothers and sisters, you have to understand, you and I are at our weakness, not when we're facing the grave. Not when you and I are facing trial and difficulty, want, loss of job, loss of life. You and I are at a greatest weakness when you and I are not living horizontally, but endeavoring as horizontal beings to enter into the presence vertically of this being who is so awesome that if you beheld him today again, you would die. Describing Peter's desire for Christ. Once Christ's deity started shining through in Peter's eyes, he got a glimpse of it in Luke. Peter's first thought was, you got to be gone for, for me. I'm not worthy to have you pr present with me. This is what R.C. Sproul wrote. If we examine this passage carefully, Luke 5, we see that there is a kind of similarity between Peter's reaction to Jesus and the reaction of the demons to Jesus. The demons recognized his holiness and were terrified. And when Simon Peter saw the awesome power of Christ, he too was terrified because he recognized something of the majesty of Christ, the holiness of Christ that was showing through. Human beings are always terrified in the presence of the holy. John Calvin, reflecting on the reaction of the Old Testament saints to the appearance of God in his holiness, said that men uniformity or uniformly were filled with dread and terror. And so, brothers and sisters, when it comes to the sinner approaching God in prayer, we discover that we are indeed weak. What mortal man can approach an eternal, infinite, holy God and not be inadequate? You know what our problem is? of disbelief. If you're hearing this going, yeah, I don't know if I buy it. Our problem is, is you're benefiting from Romans 8, 26 to 27, the Spirit of God is present with you. That you take it for granted that you can just waltz into the presence of God in prayer. Prayer's easy. What are you talking about? Brothers and sisters, imagine a non-believer approaching God this moment. 
Ask them, how do you pray? They would not know. It would be easier for them to sit in a hospital room with a dying loved one than it would be for them to articulate how they would approach a holy God. They would be terrified, horribly terrified. And so ought we if we understand who this God is. Right? That's why Ecclesiastes says, God is in heaven. You are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And there's this this sense of awesomeness when we enter into the presence of God. So when Paul comes and says to us, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for, let me explain that. We don't know how to pray. He's talking about the place, the greatest area that we are weak in our lives. John Bunyan wrote, I find that my heart is slow to go to God. And when it does go to him, it does not seem to want to stay with him. So that very often I am forced to my prayers, first to beg of God that he would take my heart and set it on himself. And then when it's there, that he would keep it there. Do you, do you have that problem? Bunyan had that problem. I have that problem. I'm sure we all have that problem. I go to the God in prayer and immediately I'm sleeping or I'm thinking about everything else rather than enjoying and adoring and praising and serving and praying to God. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, we are at our weakness, weakest, when you and I as mortal beings seek to approach God. Martin Luther, in his commentary, wrote, there is a work, um, uh, one of the ancient fathers said, there is a work quite, there is no work quite so difficult as praying uh, to God. That's, that encapsulates exactly the, the point here. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Think of the words. Think of what that means now. He envelops us, and he's with our hands as we serve, and he's with our heart as it beats, and he, he strengthens us and encourages us. He's with our mouths as we speak. He's there with us, but we've got to be serving. We've got to be, see, uh, right, um, for that to be seen, for that to be enjoyed. Grace to help in time of need. We've got to be in that need. Enjoy that grace. Brothers and sisters, are you certain that he'll be there? Are you certain he won't let you down? Well, listen. He helps us in our prayer life. He helps us when we approach God, the most difficult area of our lives. He helps us. If that is true, greater to the lesser, then you can be certain that he is there helping you at all times. Notice as the text goes on, um, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep with words. He helps us. How? He prays along with our prayers. As we're approaching God, he's approaching God in us with groanings too deep for words. This isn't tongues. There's a lot of reasons why we'd argue this can't be tongues. One of which is, I'll just give you one easy one. I don't want to sidetrack us. One of which is simply because the gift of tongues were not given to every person. But this is talking about something that every person in Christ has. The Spirit of God interceding for us, with us, along beside us with groanings too deep for words. Those words would be transcendent. I'm not sure what the word would be, but above and beyond our ability to grasp. But brothers and sisters, that's where the Spirit of God's working. Every time you and I approach God, the Spirit of God is approaching Him with us. With us enveloped by Him as we approach God in prayer. Incredible. And so just as Christ intercedes in the courts of heaven, So the Holy Spirit right now is interceding for you in the theater of your heart. 
by which he, we overcome our greatest weakness as, mo- as mortal men, communion with God. Now, brothers and sisters, that's a wonderful truth. But Paul's not done. He wants us to see. And you know what's so neat about this? Because it's the Spirit of God, the work he performs on our behalf, the help he gives us in our weakness, it's unthwartable. It's unthwartable. Notice with me, lastly, 27, the certainty of our help. And he who searches the hearts, that's a reference to God. You got the verses before you in your notes. Um, Psalm 7, Proverbs 17, etc. He who searches the hearts is a reference to God the Father. So we pray, and he who searches the hearts, well, where's the Holy Spirit? In the heart. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot we could say here, but let me just simplify it by saying this, that God knows the mind of the Spirit is to say nothing less than God hears the Spirit's prayer on our behalf, approves of the prayer, and thus answers them. That God knows the mind of the Spirit means he hears the Spirit's prayer, he, he, he approves of the prayer, and he answers that prayer. That's the force of the word know here. It's oida. It's not the gnosko, the relational, ongoing, growing knowledge. This is the complete and total apprehension of all of it. That's the word here. God knows completely the mind of the Spirit. There's nothing in the, in the, the Spirit that's, that, is, that is separate from God, that is not known. God knows everything the Spirit's saying at every moment as he prays on our behalf. And because he knows it, those answers are always fulfilled. And thus we conclude thirdly that, the, that the, the prayers of the Spirit are effectual. Whatever the Spirit prays on our behalf will take place. The Spirit's prayers cannot be thwarted. Now, brothers and sisters, if there's any doubt, notice how it ends, 27. Because he who intercedes for the saints, he intercedes according to the will of God. Now, what do you know about praying according to God's will? Well, 1 John 4, 5, 14. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. If he knows, if, if the Spirit of God, he knows the mind of the Spirit, and he always prays according to God's will, which makes sense because he's God, he'll always ask in accordance with God's will, then we know everything the Spirit prays will be answered in the, affirm- in the affirmative. John 14, 14, Christ said, If you ask me anything in my name according to my character, I will do it. If you ask according to my will, my character, I will do it. So, brothers and sisters, when we go to prayer, we go to prayer, we, we approach God, and, and if we can get past our minds wandering, if we can get past um, our, our, our sleepiness, our tendency and proneness to fall asleep in our prayers, if we can actually go to God and spend time de- um, um, genuinely praying to God, our struggle is, are we praying according to his will? Is this what God would have us pray? Guess what? The Spirit of God didn't have that problem. When you and I close our eyes and we pray, the Spirit of God is praying along with you. Do you believe that? Every time you pray, the Spirit of God's praying. Okay? Christ is praying right now in the, in the theater, in, in the courts of heaven, and the Holy Spirit's praying for you and I. And according to this text, when we pray, the Spirit of God's praying for us. And He intercedes according to the will of God, which means everything that He prays will come 
pass. So as difficult as it can be for us, the incredible news is that the Spirit never has the problem of wondering, am I praying according to His will? He always prays according to God's will, which leads to the conclusion that the Spirit's help in the area of prayer is always effective. And if He is effective in the area of our greatest weakness, that arguing from the greatest to the least, then we can uh, conclude that the Spirit's help in every area of our life likewise will be effective. So you here this day know this, all of us, when we are witnessing Understand it's, it's witnessing empowered by the Spirit of God. And therefore, His Word will not return void. They may not respond with saving faith, but God's will will be done every time you share of the hope that lies within you. The Spirit of God is working there. When you struggle, it's you supported by the Spirit. When you grieve, it's you comforted by the Spirit. When you fall, it's you protected by the Spirit. When you sin, it's you... It's you convicted by the Spirit. And when you are restored, it's you strengthened by the Spirit. And now when you pray, it's you and the Spirit. What a glorious truth. Now, brothers and sisters, that's this message. That's the glorious uh, benefit that flows from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Help in our greatest weakness. At all weakness, we have divine help. Yeah, brothers and sisters, it's not black and white. Because there are those times in our feeble mind and feeble frame. There are many times in our lives when we work at cross purposes with the Spirit, don't we? In our prayer lives. At those times, may I give you a word of encouragement? Do not guard your heart. Do not question the goodness of God. Do not question the will of God. Do not question God's love for you. You know what you think about, think about it, relationships. Parents, what would you tell your young men and women, your young boy and girl? They grow up, they're going to get married. What would you tell them what makes for a healthy marriage? Would you tell them, you know, the first time you get a difficulty, threaten your spouse that, they sh- that, that you're going to divorce them. Is that good advice? How about the first time your spouse does something wrong, dwell on what they did. Just trend, just fixate your mind on how they let you down and just spend two, three, four weeks doing that. Would you say, you'd say, don't do that. There are certain boundaries in a relationship with your spouse you don't go to. You don't cross certain, certain areas, right? You don't. You just don't. Same thing in parenting. You got a parent, you, you, you got a child does something wrong. The best way to deal with that, guys, is to say, you know what? Mom and I were talking about putting you up for adoption. You don't go there. You'd never go there, right? We're thinking of disowning you. You did what? You make me sick to my stomach. Be gone from my side. You'd never go there. Even though, no, I won't go there. All right, you'd never go there, right? You'd never go there. But why do you go there in your relationship with God? Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is true about the other person, whereas all is right, whereas pure, set your mind on these things. That's what Philippians 4.8 says. Ought that not to be true in your walk with God? So brothers and sisters, first and foremost, in this glorious reality, the Spirit is there helping us in our weaknesses. But there are times in our weaknesses where it cross purposes. We want the job and the Spirit doesn't give us that job. And we begin wondering, God, like Job, why aren't you doing these things? 
Are you not good? Are you not powerful? Is there something wrong with you? Don't go there. Guard your heart, brothers and sisters. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Don't go there in your mind. Secondly, so discipline yourself not to go there. I will not go there. Secondly, when you're at those cross purposes and things aren't going the way that you want, when you're praying for the health of your grandson or your your child, and it doesn't look like the Spirit of God is going to do anything there, where do you go? What happens then? Brothers and sisters, at that point, you and I have got to understand that God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he sees the big picture. So remember this. It's the phrase I've told you a couple times. I'll give it to you again and again. Every moment in time, God has the end game in mind. God sees the end from the beginning, right? He sees what we're going to be like in glory. And if that's true, he has the end game in mind. Every move he makes on this side of the grave is going to lead to that end game. To you and I walking with the Lord by the cool of the day, hand in hand with our Savior in eternity future. You and I growing, being there, praising God, exalting God, thanking him for those very moments that you and I are struggling with. Brothers and sisters, God has the end game in mind. So one, don't go to places in your mind. Watch over your heart. But secondly, trust your God that he has the bigger picture in mind. And therefore, he is going to bring you where you need to go. And therefore, everything that is going on in your life, God is going to work for good. You all know there was a time when Paul and Alyssa had to pull the plug. How a horrible, horrible decision to have to make as a parent. So how were they able? The Spirit of God was there with them. How were they able? Their answer was simply this. We don't want Avor suffering anymore. We'd rather have him be with Jesus. That's, 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 that's the promises of God lived out. That's the confidence of the Word of God that we've got. And that's a, that's a testimony of the Spirit of God strengthening and enabling them in the midst of the flame to praise God, though it hurts so bad. I'm reminded of this whole event that I went through with my family the last couple of weeks. It reminded me of this phrase, which probably was what drew me to this sermon, that Hendrickson, William Hendrickson shared in his commentary Um, And I've got it there at the end. You can read it with me. A pastor, loved by his people, became grievously ill. The congregation prayed, Lord, please restore him to health. That's what we were praying for Avor for all day, every day. But this, this preacher died. At the funeral, a minister who had been a lifelong friend of the departed made this remark to the assembled mourners. Perhaps some of you are in danger of arriving at the conclusion that the Heavenly Father does not hear prayer. He does indeed hear prayer, however. But in this particular case, two prayers were probably opposing each other. You were praying, O oh God, spare his life. The Spirit's unspoken prayer was, Take him away, for his work is done. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses. And whether it be in the area of prayer or the area of, of work, Ministry, sharing the gospel, regardless, the Spirit of God, you got to understand, envelops you. It is with you. If you could see the world as it really is, you'd, you'd see demons, you'd see, you'd see all, all kinds of things going on. 
but you'd see with every believer the Holy Spirit enveloping them as a robe, as a wetsuit, okay? Enveloping us and helping us in all of our weaknesses. So brothers and sisters, I don't know what this last week, last couple weeks held for you. They may have been the best two weeks of your life. For the Thurston household, it was some of the worst weeks. And that, and that, that tells me, a couple years ago, that would have been the best two weeks of my life, right? Brothers and sisters, weakness is coming. If, he, if you're not having it now, it's coming. So in fair weather, mend the sails. Look at this passage. Be convinced of this passage such that when the time of trial comes in your life and it's coming to every one of us, may God give us the grace to praise him, the very being, the words of Job, who might smack us. And we praise the Lord even when he lovingly disciplines us. Let's pray. Father, what a joy and privilege it is to have your word in our hands. Give us the grace to hold fast to hold fast to what we've been given. Lord, every one of us to hold fast to this passage. That, Lord, we would not be so easily tossed to and fro, so easily put down when trial and difficulty face us, but that we would be able to, by your Spirit's grace, to mount up with wings like eagles, to walk and not become weary, to run and not faint. Lord, to be the people of praise and glory and delight in you that, Lord, would find our glory in all, not in more money or a different location or vocation or, Lord, the, the, the reversal of the degradation of the things of this life, but that our all in all would be you. Lord, change and decay and all around we see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. And we praise you, O Lord, that this passage tells us not only do you abide with us occasionally, but you're with us at all times, in all times, through all times, that we, your people, are able to truly mount up with wings, to rejoice in the flames, to glory in the low times. With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say, we're not going to worship the, the, the golden image. For our God is able to deliver us out of the burning fire. But if he does not, we may die. Let it be known to you that we will not worship the image. For we have one God, and that God is the living, true, one and only God. You are our Lord. God, we love you. Bless us accordingly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's go to the table.